Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our resurrected and ascended Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. When we first moved to Indiana, I was about 10 years old. My dad had a new job that required a good deal of air travel, probably every other week. And in the 70s, in the early 70s, that was a lot. I remember the many times we would take him to the airport. To this day, I still love the smell of jet fuel and airplanes. Things were different then from what they are now. We could walk the concourse of the old Indy Terminal all the way out to the furthest gate, sit with him until he got on the plane, watch them pull the, push the plane away from the gate. We could have even stayed all day if we had wanted to and just watched planes. In fact, there was an enclosed observation deck on top of the concourse, and you could go up to it. Dad got on the plane, we went up as he, as he watched, and we watched it disappear. Then he returned a few days later, many times with small gifts. And I still remember the send-offs and the returns. You can imagine the disciples gathered around Jesus as he departs from them and ascends to his Father in heaven. It's 33 AD. Nothing goes into the heavens. Nothing goes into the sky not to abruptly return to earth. Rocks, spears, arrows, objects thrown from war machines, all abruptly return. There were no birthday or hot air balloons, no hang gliders or gyrocopters, no jets, no drones the size of Jimmy John's sandwiches that might buzz off and disappear. It was unheard of. Things did not go up into the heavens, depart and stay there. But Jesus did. Why is the ascension of Jesus so important? Wasn't his death and resurrection enough? In a sermon a few weeks ago, I spoke of the need for Jesus to return to the Father so the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, could be sent, the very Spirit of Jesus himself. His ascension was the completion of his time on earth, his exodus from the temporal creation as we know it. It was Christ's vocation to save mankind from sin, from the beginning of time. It was given him by his Father in heaven. He had told the disciples that he would return to his Father, their Father, and prepare a place for them and all who believe in him. Jesus is ascended as our high priest. He intercedes for us before his Father, our Father in heaven. He, by virtue of his sinless death and resurrection, stands between God's wrath against sin, the sinful world we who sin much and daily, he hears our prayers and intercedes before God our Father in heaven on our behalf. It is this reason we pray to and in his name and not to that of various saints. So how does Jesus sit at the right hand of God? When my dad got on a plane and ascended in flight, or when any of us go anywhere, our temporal bodies have one location. On the plane in seat 26C, for instance, or wherever we are located. In our lives, we have only the ability to be in one finite place in space and time. Not so with God. God is not limited by what we know and understand, and we, in our fallen human state, 
are unable to understand the height, the depth, the breadth, the width, magnitude, and glory of God's almighty existence and being. Artists depict the Father and Son on some golden throne wearing crowns and garments of gold and white that shine like the sun. Why? Because in what other way can our very small minds express our limited understanding of this? Understanding Jesus at the right hand of God is much like trying to understand the mystery of the Holy Trinity. Three persons, yet one God. I've seen all manner of good diagrams depicting this, but ultimately it's our sinful mind trying to explain something beyond our reason or sense. Believing is a matter of faith that is given by God. If we add our own human reason, then we become like an ant, one that might be on the picnic table you might eat at this weekend, trying to comprehend the hand that kindly pushes it off the, off the table onto the ground. Our Father in heaven cares for us in su- to such a wonderful and great degree that he has given us Holy Scripture and the Holy Spirit so we may have faith and understand, faith that understands and have comfort in the fact that Jesus is not only at, but is the right hand of God, his mighty arm that saves. Luther in his writings states, the scriptures teach us that the right hand of God is not a specific place in which a body must or may be, such as an on a golden throne, but is the almighty power of God, which at one and the same time can be nowhere and yet must be everywhere. It cannot be at any one place, I say, for if it were at some specific place, it would have to be there in a, circ- in a circumscribed and determinate manner, as everything which is at one place must be at that place determinately and measurably, so that it cannot meanwhile be at any other place. But the power of God cannot be so determined and measured, for it is uncircumscribed and immeasurable, beyond beyond and above all that is or may be. In our creed, we confess that it is God who creates, sustains, and holds all creation together. Be it the tiniest sprout in the earth, keeping the oceans in their place, or giving us our very breath in each and every moment. God is in us, at work in all things. To this, Luther states concerning God's right hand, it must be essentially present. If he is to create or preserve it, speaking of all creation, he must be present and must make and preserve his creation both in its innermost and outermost aspects. Therefore, indeed, he himself must be present in every single creature in its innermost and outermost being on all sides, through and through, below and above, before and behind, so that nothing can be more truly present and within all creatures than God himself with his power. If we look at Isaiah 66, 2, it reads, Has not my hand made all these things? And in the beginning of John's gospel, confesses and tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This word and right hand is Christ himself, who, even as an embryo in the womb of the Virgin Mary, held all creation together. Now the ascended Christ is with and in all creation, 
The glory he set aside to enter creation is once more taken up and used to its fullest in creation to rule all things. Paul says, God is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. And Romans 11 adds, from him and through him and to him are all things. Christ being at the right hand of God places him where God is. And according to Isaiah 66.1, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. That's interesting. Do you imagine God's feet resting on the North Pole like your feet rest on an ottoman in front of your favorite chair? Not so. God is present in all of heaven and earth. But so that we may be saved by his son, even in his ascended, where did he go state? He most especially has promised to be with us through the preaching of his word and his sacraments. It is only in these that the power of God's right hand saves by giving us faith in Christ. This saving faith is really the sum total of the knowledge God wishes us to have, be we simpletons or members of the Mensa. He wants us to know Christ crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. He wants us to have and know the fullness of Christ in us to save us and give us eternal life. This was the knowledge he imparted to the disciples just before he departed when he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. I remember the smell of jet fuel, waving goodbye to my father and him returning until the time he did not return. He left on one of his trips when I was a senior in high school, 42 years ago, and he died of a heart attack in his motel room one night while away. My father fulfilled his vocation as best as a father could. He shared this saving faith with our family, took us to Sunday school and church, darn near weekly and probably dragging me half the time, but he took us where God's word was preached and taught and where his precious sacraments were given. It may never have crossed his mind in this way, but he prepared me for the day he would not return, when he would be with his Lord, and for the day of our Lord's return. God's mighty right hand at work through the actions of a sinful and, yes, forgiven man. Jesus departed and will return on the last day. He will descend on the clouds of heaven and call us home to be with him. He will do it by and as the power of God's right hand that is strong to save. I'm sure the disciples stood gazing into the clouds like little children watching a released balloon disappear into the distance, or as one watching a plane do the same. We are basically told so in the first chapter of Acts. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heavens, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Christ will return in glory that we cannot simply imagine. Until that day, he is with us now, yes, holding all creation together, but most especially in word and sacrament, God's right hand preserving 
strengthening and filling us with his righteousness, making us holy before his Father, our Father in heaven, even as we watch like those first disciples and await his return. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.